Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? You remembered. You remembered church started at 10 a.m. today. I was kind of worried about how that, how that would work out, but I'm glad we decided just to put all of our efforts into one service temporarily. We're only going to do this until, I, who knows, until when, uh, whatever happens. But things are changing. Change is nice, isn't it? Uh, it's, Sunday's turning out to be my favorite day because, uh, you know, I'm just not around that many people very often. The way I work and the way we do church is I'm always around people. I'm always doing something. And that has come to a screeching halt here the last five months. So uh, Sunday's the, the opportunity that I get to see everybody. So I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that you're joining us online. And I know that we've got two-thirds of our church, Faith Go Church, continues to meet online. We love you guys. We're praying for you. We're so glad that, 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 you're, that uh, you're joining us. Hey, uh, remember, God will take us through any situation as long as we stay connected and as long as we stay committed to God, connected to each other and committed to God. What I want to do right now is uh, I want to pray for our students. We've got a lot of schools. Real quickly, uh, how many students do we have going back to school this weekend? I just want to know if we've got any students here. Okay, so uh, I know a lot of the parents are like, uh, some of the parents are like, thank God the, the kids are going back to school. And some of the parents are like, really, I know all of our parents are a little bit worried. There's a lot of uncertainty. But I, I tell you what, we serve uh, a big God, don't we? We serve a God, and we, in our lives, no matter what, always been that way. It's never changed. Our lives are always in his hands. So here's what I want to do. I want everybody to stand, if you will. Go ahead and stand. If you're watching us online, go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand in your pajamas. And uh, here's what I want you to do. If you have a student that's with you in your home, if you have a student that's with you, or uh, I want you to uh, just put your hand on your daughter or your son, and we're going to pray for them right now. And uh, uh, this is uh, what we want to do is we want to pray that God would keep uh, his hand over them, that God would give them divine protection and give them a good year. Also, if you're here and you're a teacher, you're a part of administration, if somebody's here, you're part of an administration, we want to pray for you too. If your spouse or your friend is around you, you might just take that person by the hand or wrap your arms around them. We want to pray for administration and our leaders in school right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to call on you in times of trouble, in times of need. But Lord, you also said in Proverbs, in all of our ways, if we will acknowledge you, you will give us direction. We understand, Lord, that you direct our lives. We pray today for the school year. We pray, Lord, that you will give us a good year, that, that you will bless and empower and equip students to be good students, Lord. But we also ask for something a little bit different this year. I pray, Lord, for divine protection from this virus, for divine protection from any kind of sickness, Lord, any kind of harm. Not just this, but any kind of harm. We've got kids that are in sports that can get injured, Lord, if you don't protect. We've got kids, Lord, that, uh, that are traveling distances to go different places, Protect our students, Lord. Protect the students of Faith Code Church and, and, and surrounding communities and churches, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you will give our school administration, the teachers, the principals, Lord, give them divine protection, give them divine wisdom. I know there's a lot of different uh, types of things that are going on, different policies. There's a, a lot of different things that are happening in schools. Give our administration patience. Give them wisdom. Give us direction, Lord. Help us to have, regardless of what's going on in our culture, help us to have a, a good, safe, and productive school year in the name of Jesus. If you believe that and if you agree with it, say amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you, Lord.
In Psalm 37 and 23, it says the Lord directs the steps of, a God, of the godly. We, re, we have been reading this every single week. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. So we understand that when we give our lives to Christ, that there is nothing random about our lives. There are things that happen to us that, that we don't understand. But no matter what happens, even if it's not even if it's not directed by God, even if, if it's the enemy fighting us, the Lord directs our steps and there's nothing random, nothing random about our lives. But Proverbs 16 and 25 says that there is a path before each person that seems right, but the end leads to death. So sometimes we can get off track. I believe even we as believers can get headed down the wrong path. So what happens many times when we get headed down the wrong path, the Lord will step in, I believe that he does, he steps in and he disrupts our plans if they're for our destruction. Since there is a path that seems right, but the end leads to destruction. Since we're headed down a path that we think is best for us, if it's not, I believe that the Lord will step in and he will disrupt our paths for destruction and he will cause an intervention, he will, a godly intervention to take place in our lives. Now remember, if you're here a few weeks ago, he sent his son 2,000 years ago to be an intervention, and then he has sent the scripture. A daily intervention of scripture gives us wisdom on what to do. And then we have the Holy Spirit that intervenes in our lives. And I believe that if that doesn't get our attention, that the Lord will, in fact, send a person into your life, send a person in my life, into my life, to get our attention. So that's what we're talking about, how God sends the right person at the right time time to intervene in our lives when we need it the most. Heavenly Father, be with us today as we are, are, as we are tuned in to your message. Speak to us, intervene where we need it, and help us to intervene into the lives of people that need it. In Christ's name, and everybody said, look at your neighbor right now and say, it is great to see you. So good to see everybody in church today. You know, one of the greatest acts of intervention, what we've been talking about in the Bible, is the story of Abigail and David where she intervenes where he is about to make a terrible, terrible mistake. And last week we read that story in 1 Samuel, the 25th chapter. It's a, an entire chapter. I'm not going to go in today and read every bit of that. I read it last week. If you want to hear that, you can read it last week. Or you can go read that for yourself in 1 Samuel, the 25th chapter. But I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. I'm going to review just a little bit, and then I'm going to pick up where I left off. What happened was, David was in a place where he was, he was broken. I believe that he had reached his breaking moment in his life. If you want to rewind just a little bit, David was anointed by Samuel in front of all of his brothers when he was a teenager. God anointed him to be the next king of Israel when he was just a teenager. And then when, if you go a little bit forward from that, David is at a war and make a long story short, he kills Goliath. And from that moment on, he does this in front of the entire army of Israel. From that moment on, David's life is completely changed. He is the most famous person in the nation of Israel. Not long after that, King Saul brings him in, and he marries the king's daughter. And then he's the most popular person in all of Israel. He does the king's bidding. He is on the king's campaigns, and he, he raids the enemy's uh, areas and, he, and every time David sets out to fight the Philistines, he wins and God begins to bless him. He's uh, heading up the king's army. He's all these things are happening. Nothing can go wrong. And then all of a sudden, 
He's so famous that people are writing songs about him and it's making it back to the sitting king. Things like King Saul is king, has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So Saul begins to think, you know what? I'm going to lose my kingdom to David. So he becomes very insecure and very jealous of David. He tries to kill him a couple of times while he's in the kingdom, while he's in the palace. But David escapes and then David leaves his family. He leaves his wife. He leaves his job. And he's living like an outlaw on the backside of who knows where, living in caves. And while he's out, King Saul gives David's wife to another man. So he loses his wife. And then as he's living out in the world, as he's still not an enemy of the king, but as he's just running from the king, Saul, at two different times, takes 3,000 men to pursue David to kill him because he wants him gone from the kingdom. So this is where David is. David has reached the brink, and now he's living, we, we find him now, he's living on the border of this man, this wealthy man named Nabal. His wife is Abigail. He finds him out there on the border of his land, and while he's out there, and while they're still doing a little bit of war tactics and these kinds of things, as this is going on, he is protecting Nabal's flock. Nabal has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. So David, they, he tells his men, you don't touch any of them. That's somebody else's. They were actually, as his servant would eventually say, as Nabal's servant would say to Abigail later, that he was actually a wall of protection. We didn't have to worry about anything. So while he's living out at the border of Nabal's land, it's sheep shearing time. Everybody say sheep shearing time. Which means it's a harvest time. It's a time that, you know, they've waited all year for this. It is a harvest time for shepherds and people that own sheep. So 3,000 sheep are shaved or whatever, however you want. They get a haircut, if you will. And this is, a, this is a time of party. This is a time of harvest. So all this is going on. And, uh, that, you know, you, all the money comes in as they sell it. So David sends word to Nabal. He says, you know, we've been out here. We haven't touched any of, your, any of your sheep. We've been faithful in that. At this time of harvest, at this time of celebration, would you consider just sharing a little bit of your surplus, surplus with us? And it would have been nothing for Nabal to do that. Just, you know, five sheep and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It would have been nothing. But in front of ten men, Nabal insults David. Who is David? I hear a lot of servants that have been running away from their masters from time to time. Why should I give my, uh, my meat and why should I give my, my, my uh, produce? Why should I give that to some guy that has run away? Who knows? You guys get. Well, when that word gets back to David, the first things or the first words out of David's mouth was, everybody put your swords on. So they strapped on their swords, and he says, everybody mount up, lock and load. And they mount up on their horses, 400 of his 600-men army, and they are headed to Nabal's house. And as he is riding, to give you the state of mind that he's in, this is, Nabal insulted him, but he's just a man with a family, and, you know, just going, here's what David says, a lot of good it did me to be nice to this guy. You see, David is at a breaking point in his life. He has reached the max of where he's, going to be he's not going to be insulted anymore. He's had enough of it. He's been chased by a king. He's lost his wife. He's at a breaking point. The last thing you want to do right now in this moment is insult David, and that's exactly what Nabal did. He got smart with David, and he's like, he don't, he don't know me. He should have talked to somebody. So they mount up, and 400 guys are headed to Nabal's house, and he says, a lot of good it did for me to help him out. 
And then he looks at his guys and he says, may God strike me dead if anybody from Nabal's house is alive this time tomorrow. David needed an intervention. He needed an intervention because he was about to commit murder. So what is intervention? Intervention is when God sends the right person at the right time to do or to say the right things in order to keep us on the right path. Let me say that again. Intervention, that's when God sends the right person at the right time to say or to do the right things in order to keep us on the right path. And sometimes it's a matter of God sending somebody into our lives, and sometimes it's a matter of God sending us into somebody else's life. David needed an intervention. And the reason that I'm spending so much time on this, on this, on, this is like a three-part message, this particular intervention, is because I believe that Abigail was the perfect intervention. I've never seen a more powerful intervention where a woman stepped in, showed her gifting, and showed what she could do and say in order to change the destiny of a king. Not only did she save her family, but she saved a king from murdering, and she saved his destiny. Abigail was the perfect intervention for David. Number one, we talked about this one last week, because she acted quickly. Number one, she acted quickly, which says that you are important to me. It says here, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered supplies. You know, there is no better time now than to save somebody that's headed down a path of destruction, right? Sometimes we hesitate. Sometimes we procrastinate, and we lose the opportunity to speak to somebody. Well, I'm waiting for a more convenient time. Listen to me. If God is dealing with you about stepping in and saving somebody, now is the time. Say that to your neighbor. Now, now is the time. So first of all, she was the perfect intervention by God because she acted quickly. Number two, she acted with humility. If acting quickly says that this is important, we're acting in humility, says, you are important. Verse 23 says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got up off her donkey, bowed low before him. Abigail led this whole situation, which I believe was the most powerful situation. She, she led this whole altercation with humility. I want you to picture this for a second. Here are 400 very angry men, fierce Fear, the fiercest of warriors. David's mighty men were there. Nobody, nobody could. These guys were undefeated. As these guys are trotting toward Nabal's house, here comes this, this very, this young, beautiful woman trotting on her little donkey. And, you know, they're wondering what's going on. And here comes these 400 guys in a V-shaped. And they're going, they're, they're unleashing hell on Nabal's house. And here comes this woman. And she stops and she gets off her little donkey. And she runs up there in front of David. And the first thing that she does is not say anything, the first thing that she does is kneel. So much can be saved and so much can be salvaged in relationships if we lead with humility. Are you with me? What We lose so much by showing up and griping people out or whatever. When, when humility is not a position. This is, this is what's so hard for us because nobody... In our culture, we don't like humility. We like telling people how we feel. But humility for us is not a, a position. It is a disposition that says that you are more important than me. Your situation, our relationship is more important than any fight that we might have. She led with humility. I want to pick up where we left off. Number three, the reason that Abigail was such a perfect godly intervention to David was she brought a gift. She brought a gift. That means I'm thinking of you. Verse 27 says, 
Here's what she says. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young man. Let me give you just a little bit of a, a tip from somebody that's, that's, that's had a lot of hard conversations. The next time, and this is more practical than spirit, spiritual, but the next time that you have to intervene in somebody's life, the next time you have to have a hard conversation with someone or you need to change their mind about something, they're headed down the wrong path, do that over lunch that you bought. It makes a difference. It's hard for somebody to be angry with you if you're giving them something. It's just a practical word of advice. Proverbs 18, check this. Proverbs 18 and 16 says, giving a gift can open doors. Giving a gift can open doors. People who need intervention are closed off. Something that has happened, they are offended, they are upset, they are are a closed door. Nothing opens a door like an act of generosity. Nothing opens doors like an act of generosity. Husbands, we don't get the flower thing. We don't understand why flowers are, are important. We don't understand why a woman would want flowers. When it comes to us, a plant If it can't be dipped in ranch and eaten, then it needs to be cut to three inches or sprayed with Roundup. You know what I'm saying? That's the way we roll. Roll hard in the yard with my 56-inch cut. You know what I'm saying? But That's the way we roll. What is the deal with flowers? It it doesn't make any sense. But, and if we want the room to smell nice like flowers, we spray it, right? We just spray it. It doesn't make any sense. Why do you need to buy flowers? But to ladies, and it took me a long time to learn this. Flowers are the perfect gift for a woman because they are a temporary reminder that you thought of her. Now, a ring is a permanent reminder. You can't buy your wife flowers the first day you get married and never buy her again. That's not what flowers are. That's what a ring is for. Flowers are a temporary reminder of the fact. They're, they're a seven-day reminder that you thought of her. Let me just, guys, let me just, let me just talk to you straight. It's a temporary reminder. It's not an annual reminder, which reminds me, I need to buy my wife flowers. Um, we, we learned something from doing mission work. When we started doing mission work, it was, you know, after going once or twice, I figured out very quickly that mission work, if I really want to make a difference and impact, it's not so much about showing up and preaching and sharing the word. That's something that you want to do. But what we found out, is to call ahead and say, what can we bring? What kind of resources can we give? How does your church, your mission work over there, how, how does that need help and what can we do? So here's what we found out. We found out that if we really, really, this was our approach, we don't just want to show up and do services, what resources can we bring? What, what hygiene items can we bring to children? What material and what, what, what supplies can we bring? Can we bring shoes? Can we bring clothes? Here's something else we decided to do. We handpicked people for certain missions, and, and we, our missions got postponed this year because of what's going on and the traveling restrictions, but we decided that we would bring people that knew how to work. A couple of times we brought people, we, get, we brought people that didn't want to work. I'm like, why are you even, why get all dressed up and come over here? We decided that we would bring people to work 
We have resurfaced a basketball court on a mission trip. We have dug countless trenches. We've cleared land. We have picked up so much trash and garbage. We have helped fill in ravines and little canyons. We've renovated office space and classrooms. We have built several playground and, and equipment. We built houses uh, for hurricane victims, even gave bikes for kids at events. We've done all of those things. Here's the deal. As far as mission work at Faith Coast Church, we give the gift of resources because it makes the biggest difference. We have found out that giving and generosity opens doors. We found out that there is no limit to what God will do through mission work if we start with giving gifts. Are you with me? We need to learn this when it comes to intervening. Here's another thing. Giving is an act of love. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and the 14th verse, it says, love is kind. Well, it just so happens that giving is an act of kindness. If you want people to listen to you, if you want, to, if you want people that have broken relationships with you, if you want to get through to somebody that, that is closed off and doesn't want to speak to you, they're, you know, people that, that, are, that are closed off and don't want anything to do with anybody, if you want to open a door in your life, bring something to the table. Bring some kind of gift to the table. It's what the scripture says. If you've offended someone, be generous. It will open doors. Look at your neighbor and say, where's my flowers? Number four. The reason that Abigail was such an incredible intervention by God, and this is something that we want to learn. This is, this is probably one of the most significant, uh, significant of these points. Is Abigail took full responsibility for the entire situation. Even though it wasn't her fault, it was Nabal's fault. In other words, for the offense, for the wrong that happened, Abigail owned it. Look at your neighbor and say, she owned it. She owned every bit of this situation. In verse 24, she said, I accept all blame in this matter. Was it her fault? Absolutely not. But, but her ability or her... Uh, uh, signing up for the fact to own this matter really brought David's temper down. I accept all blame in this matter. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. Do you know that when somebody has been wronged, when somebody has been insulted, when they've been hurt by somebody, when they have been offended in some way, they begin to head down a path where they blame somebody else. They look for people to blame. I want you to just think through that for a second. If you've ever been offended, if you've ever been wronged in some way, the first thing, the first place that we head to is to blame somebody else. Even if I'm at fault, the last thing that anybody wants to do, if they've been wronged or if something happened, the last thing that anybody wants to do is look in the mirror and say, it was my fault, I caused that. People who are offended, people who have been hurt, people who have been wronged, that they do not want to do that, and they push people away, and that's why they are a closed door. It's, they seem unreachable, but Proverbs 18 and 19 says this. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Somebody who has been offended, that you've, if you have offended a friend, let me take it a step further. If you've hurt or offended your spouse, or if you've hurt or offended your kid, 
They are harder to win back, the scripture says, than a fortified city. Have you ever wronged a friend? Do you have a broken relationship? Do you have a broken marriage in your life? Somebody who feels wrong? Do you feel that way? What do you do? How do you intervene? Well, I believe that you can take a lesson from Abigail. I believe if she were talking to you, she would say this. She would look at you and say, own it. Well, you don't understand it wasn't all my fault. Own it anyway. The relationship and being united is more important than whether or not you, you have you know, your rights or your justification. Own it anyway. If you want to bring healing to a relationship, if you want to restore a friendship in your life, it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. Be the first person to own it. Are you with me? That's not easy to do. But you have to think about the end result. Abigail was trying to save her life. She was trying to save a kingdom. If you are trying to win somebody back, the most powerful thing that you can do is take responsibility for an entire situation, even if you were not at fault. Don't miss that moment. Don't miss that. The most powerful thing that you can do to win somebody that has been offended and this is an act of intervention. The most powerful thing that you can do is take responsibility for a situation that you didn't cause. Does it matter? Who cares? I've had a couple, I've had many altercations at restaurants about having to send food back for getting the wrong order. All of us have. But there are two particular ones, two different experiences that I want to share with you. One time, I was eating at a at a restaurant, and I ordered a chicken sandwich. And they have, you know, on that sandwich, what comes with, and I don't know why anybody would do this, I don't know why anybody would put this on anything, is it comes with mayonnaise. Why would anybody put mayonnaise on anything? I don't know, but I, have, I pay very close attention to whether or not it has mayonnaise because I can't eat anything. Once you put a, a tablespoon of mayonnaise with pickles and onions on anything, I, it's done. It, you might as well throw that thing in the trash. You can't get it off the hand. It's, it's within the crevices of the hamburger meat. You know what I'm saying? It's ruined. I just can't eat it. I, I don't know what the deal is. I, mayonnaise has a kick to it. You know what I'm saying? It's got a real kick to it. And that's the way it looks. You know, uh, anyway, I'm getting off track here. So I ordered this chicken sandwich, and I was, I was very specific, as I always am. Uh, will you leave the mayonnaise off? And you know where this is going. So it comes back, and, uh, it, you know, they, they bring my order out. And, of course, that's the first thing I look at. It's got mayonnaise on it. So I'm like, hey, I try to be as nice as I can. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to make waiters and waitresses upset and the cooks because you don't know what they're going to do back there. You know what I'm saying? So you're just like, ah, hey, you know, I was just wondering if it's possible if, you know, if, if I can get the sandwich that I ordered. And, uh, you know, I ordered this without mayonnaise because mayonnaise, you know, uh, it, it it makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth if I, I can't eat anything with mayonnaise. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe since I have to give $20 for a chicken sandwich and $4 for a water, and then I got to tip you on top of that, so I'm going to spend $30 on lunch today. And I thought, well, just maybe I could just, I could just get what I ordered. You know, you know, I don't, is, that, is, that, is that possible? You know, I didn't, okay, I didn't say it just like that, but I was just being very, very nice. And she said, she, she goes, you know what you order. She goes, are you sure? And I'm like, well, I, 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 I'm pretty sure. And then she, go, she, then she goes and gets the, the, the manager, and he comes out there, and, you know, because they got to take the food back. 
And uh, she goes, he says that he, he says that he ordered this. And I'm like, you know, you're sitting down and they're up. So you, uh, you feel like you're being called to the carpet. You know, and then she, he says that he ordered this. And, you know, he goes, and the, and, the way, and the manager, instead of taking care of everything, he goes, let me see his receipt. And I'm like, I'm going to be caught in a lie. I'm going to be caught in lie and banned from the restaurant. You know what I'm saying? I just want what I ordered. So, you know, they go back and forth and look at it and say, well, okay, I can see that you did that. Oh, sir, we're, we'll have your order out. And I'm like, it just kind of ruined the entire experience. You know what I'm saying? It, it just kind of ruined. It just... And then I go to another restaurant. I don't know. It wasn't anytime soon. But I'm just talking about another experience. And, and uh, they, my, it, was, it was more expensive but the potatoes were cold, and I tried to eat them. Listen, it's got to be really bad for me to send food back, okay? And I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of a special occasion. I don't want cold potatoes. So I'm like, sir, you know, it's great, but the potatoes are cold. And he's going, oh, well, why didn't you say something? Give me that. He takes that back there, and he swaps out. I don't know. Maybe they got a vat of hot potatoes. I don't know. And it's like out in 60 seconds, and I'm like, well, that was, that was kind of nice. And I'm sitting there, eating, you know, munching on potatoes and, and enjoying my time with my wife. And pretty soon, the owner of the restaurant comes out, or manager or whatever, he comes out. And he goes, hey, I heard we had a little issue over here. And I'm like, no, we didn't really. You know, I like COVID. And he goes, no, 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 no. That is unacceptable. Listen, listen, that's on us. That's on us. We're going to comp your meal. No, no, I don't mind. I really don't mind. No, we're comping your meal. Let me tell you something else. We're going to get you a good dessert. Mr. Hurst, do you like cream belay? As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> well, here's what you, we're going to comp your meal, and we're going to give you cream belay. Would that, does that make you feel better? That, that, that makes me feel great. <laughs> that, just, that makes me, thank you for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, let me ask you something. Which restaurant do you think is going to get me for life? Which do you think the next time I, there's some kind of an altercation? Okay, let me ask you another question. Who owned it? Right? Here's the point. There is power when somebody owns a moment. The owner owns the moment. Own the situation that, that, that you're going through. This situation, the argument or the offense or the person that's the person. If, if, if there's a situation, just sit everybody down and say, it's my fault. It's my fault. This is my fault. It's not your fault. I take four. I blame myself. Look at your name and say, I blame myself. We need to get comfortable. We need to get comfortable with that kind of language if we're going to restore relationships in our lives. Here's the deal. If you are going to own the moments in your life, there's three things that you can do. Number one, I call it the, the three A's of taking responsibility, three A's of owning the moment. Number one is acknowledge the offense. Acknowledge it. This, this, acknowledge what happened. This is an, uh, unacceptable. This, this is how you win people over. Acknowledge the offense. This is unacceptable. This should never have happened. The second thing that you want to do is you want to apologize. <laughs> Don't apologize and say, well, 
Don't apologize and say and talk about your butt, right? I apologize, but, you know what I'm saying? Maybe that wasn't a good way to say that. Don't apologize and say, but. Don't apologize and say, well, just apologize. I'm sorry, but, you know, you upset me. That's not an apology. Just apologize. I'm sorry. This is unacceptable. Acknowledge, apologize, and then ask for forgiveness. And if you'll give me another chance, I will make this right. That is the most powerful thing that you can do. Take responsibility. Own the moment. Abigail was the perfect intervention for David because she didn't just shuck responsibility. She took responsibility and she owned the moment. And I've got more, but I'm going to close right there. Here's the deal. Sometimes when God intervenes in our lives, he will send somebody into our lives. And learn the lesson from Abigail when she stepped in to David's life to save a kingdom, to save a future of a nation, to save her own family. The first thing that she did is she brought a generous gift. Generosity, remember this, generosity opens doors. The second thing that she did, just to review, is that she owned it. She owned the moment. She took responsibility. She looked at David and said, David, this is not your fault. This is my fault. How could he? Of course he argued that. No, it's not your fault. It's, it's Nabal's fault. She shut him down, and I guarantee and said, no, no, this is my fault. I never saw your men coming. I am responsible for this. There's no higher person that you can go to than the owner. So when you own a moment, it eases the tension of a situation. Can I tell you something? That this is the example of Jesus that he gave. He gave, when we needed intervention in our lives, he gave the gift of his life. He gave the gift of his life and he gave the gift of his death. He gave the gift of salvation when we needed intervention. The second thing that he did is he owned our sin. He owned that moment. He looked at the Father and said, their sin, what they did, that's on me. He owned it. That's on me. Father, you're not, going to, you're not going to put that blame on them. I want you to put that blame on me. I am responsible for their sin. That's what Jesus did. No, don't blame them. Blame me. Blame me. I'm taking their, I'm owning this. I'm taking their sin. I'm taking their shame. I'm taking their punishment. That's on me. And he took that sin and he took that blame and he took that all the way to a cross where he suffered the punishment of our sin. He gave the gift of his life and he owned the moment as an act of intervention to bring us back to him that we could be back in fellowship with God. So I want to leave you with this as I close. Is God speaking to you today? Do you today feel like God needs to intervene in your life? Or maybe you feel today that that God is sending you, that you really feel like God is dealing with you about going to see somebody, but you're, you're waiting and you're procrastinating. Ask yourself, is God dealing with you to intervene in somebody's life, or is today the day that God intervenes in your life? So Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. And I thank you, Lord, because you are meeting us here today, and I believe that you're talking to people even now. As your heads are bowed, 
and you're watching us online, if you just bow your heads, I want to ask you, what is God saying to you right now? What is he saying? Is it time for an intervention in your life? Do you really feel like, like God needs to intervene in your life? If so, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody that's here, everybody that's watching us online. Lord, for people that need to encounter you, people that need to experience you, Lord, act on behalf of them. Intervene in their lives. For those that are broken, for those that are hurting, for those that are suffering, Lord, will you intervene as, as people begin to pray. As people in the house begin to pray, Lord, intervene in my life. For what is that situation that you feel like God needs to intervene in your life? What does it look like? Will you begin to pray right now? Will you begin to pray right now, Lord, intervene, act on my life right now? And Lord, I pray for people that you're dealing with that need to act, to intervene in the lives of their friends and their family. Lord, I pray that we don't hold back. I pray that we don't hesitate or procrastinate, Lord, but we act now to intervene on behalf of our friends and family in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're watching this online and you don't know Jesus, he's not Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you can say, Travis, I have never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life, and today I really feel like God is dealing with my heart. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I walked away from God at some point in my life, and I really feel like he's, he's drawing me back to him right now, whatever that might look like. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand and walk the aisles. I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything. That might be embarrassing, and certainly if you're watching us online, if God is dealing with you right now, to come home, to give your heart to him, I just want to lead you in a prayer, and if you're here today, if you feel like God is speaking to you right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I just want you to repeat after me, and we'll all pray together, and today is the day that you can go home. Today is the day that you can give your life to Christ. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I am before you today. And I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I confess my sins to you today. And I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. And I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate in faith, believing.